people are never going to understand how critical this particular time in history is. We have $7.7 trillion worth of economic events that are going to hit America in the gut. This is An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun, President and CEO of Private Wealth Consultants, the free market voice, free market voice. of the U.S., enhancing and protecting private wealth. Gary Rathbun has over 30 years of experience in making the best choices for you to keep more of what you earn. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. This is our Greetings and welcome again to An Economy of One. I am your host, Gary Rathman. It's been an interesting week, hasn't it? We've had uh, a couple debates. Boring. Um, I guess the big news this week is the Fed decided not to raise interest rates. I predicted that. I didn't think they would. They, they've they left them unchanged. They give a whole bunch of forward and guidance that's pretty much meaningless. But for now, uh, they decided not to raise interest rate. Now, the, the thing about this, the thing that I think is interesting is a year ago, the Federal Reserve said we will begin raising interest rates when certain criteria in the economy is met. Well, we've met those criteria. Unemployment is below 6.5. Is it CPI? Inflation is hovering around 2%, a little less than 2%. So that was their criteria, and they decided not to raise interest rates. Now, in in the very near future, we're going to look at some detailed stuff as to what would happen to currency carry trades, that kind of stuff, had they... uh, Uh, raised interest rates, but we're not going to do that today. But I do want to talk about one of those criteria, the jobs numbers, and obviously what the Federal Reserve sees that they're not talking about. According to the Department of Labor, the unemployment rate is currently 5.1% in this country, well below, well below the Federal Reserve's number for raising interest rates, yet they didn't raise interest rates. Why not? Well, like some of us, like some of us, the uh, Federal Reserve doesn't really believe that's the real number. The 5.1 is is what's commonly called the U3 rate. The real number, the more accurate number, the, the number that's more meaningful, if you will, is the U6 rate. The U6 rate includes the U3, the 5.1, but it also includes people who are working part-time that would prefer to work full-time. It includes people who have been unemployed for more than 12 months, and it includes people who are euphemistically called the permanently discouraged, in other words, the long-term unemployed people that would like to have a job. The 5.1 does not include that. If if your unemployment benefits run out, you're no longer counted as one of the labor force, as a member of the labor force, in calculating that unemployment rate. 
Now, 94 million people have left the labor force in the last several years. 94 million. And that's a big number not to count when you're calculating the unemployment rate. So I think a major part of the equation for the Federal Reserve in not raising interest rates was the fact that the numbers being put out there in headlines are really not the real numbers. I I think they know that. Uh, I think a lot of us know that. Politicians who like to take credit for creating jobs, which they have created none, uh, like to take credit for that 5.1. Now, what's interesting is just in August... Just in August, almost 700,000 native-born Americans lost their job. 700,000. The big jump in jobs, not only in August, but over the last several years, has been in foreign-born Americans. Since December 2007, only 790,000 native-born American jobs have been added. During that same time frame, 2.1 million foreign-born Americans have gotten a job. Now, why is this? I don't know. You know, I'm not going to get into the psychology of this. I don't really know the definitive reason why. I have some peripheral thoughts as to why that is but the fact is a lot of people born outside the United States a lot more three to one are getting jobs in this country versus people who are born in this country now I'm not talking illegal aliens that's not part of the equation I'm talking about People not born in this country. So, the numbers laid out there, everything was what the Federal Reserve said they wanted a year ago, and yet they didn't raise interest rates. Speaks volumes. Speaks volumes. Now, will they raise them later? Probably. But I don't know. Uh, when I don't think the Federal Reserve knows when, and I'm not really concerned about it. Not really concerned because it really doesn't matter. Sure, it will matter in the short term. Things will fluctuate because of, of interest rate changes. But the fact is, if the economy is strong, it's strong. If it's weak, it's weak. And interest rates, movements, are not going to have that big of an impact. There are other things in the economy that are more important than just simple movement of interest rates quarter of a point at a time. Now, also going on this week was uh, presidential debates. Seems like that's all we hear about. And I am getting, uh, I'm getting Trump fatigue, no question about that. Uh, that is not a an endorsement or a non-endorsement. I, I think uh, uh, Mr. Trump is driving a narrative that maybe wouldn't be driven were he not uh, campaigning. 
but uh, I'm getting tired of it. To me, the more interesting side is the Democratic side. Uh, Hillary Clinton and especially, I find interesting, Bernie Sanders. Once again, that's not an endorsement. I don't endorse uh, Bernie Sanders. I don't endorse anybody on this show. But I find it interesting, not only what he's saying, but how shallow the analysis is of what he's saying. He's a a devout, uh, unabashed socialist. I mean, he's come right out and said he's a socialist. Now, he's running under the Democratic ticket. But the things he is promising is going to cost $18 trillion over the next 10 years. Now, I do want to qualify this. I'm sick of the over the next 10 years crap. Uh, Nobody knows what's going to happen over the next 10 years. It never, ever, ever holds true to those numbers. Never. It's always way front-end loaded. They just put that 10 years on there. So naturally you think, well, that's only $1.8 trillion a year. That's not that not that bad compared to $18 trillion. Yeah, out of that $18 trillion over 10 years, it's more like $5 trillion up front and then $3 trillion and then 2 and then a couple after that. But $18 trillion dollars of new spending not total spending new spending for what he's promising now what bothers me about this is people are listening to him people want change and wow this is president obama's policies on steroids he wants a one-payer system he wants social security for everybody cradle to grave and rich people Uh, They don't deserve the money they have. Now, how he thinks he's going to pay for all this, don't know. But I can bet Professor Krugman is happy because he thinks we ought to have more debt and more spending. So I think it's interesting that uh, Bernie Sanders is getting the attention he's getting. I'm not sure people are digging into the message very deep at all. Coming up next, we're going to Contango on radio. Contango. No, not Dancing with the Stars, but close. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Are you ready? We're going to do something never done before, probably. We're going to contango on the radio. Contango is one of my favorite words, uh, especially when it comes to the economy and specifically commodities. No, it is not dancing. I am not a dancer. For those of you that know uh, me or have talked to me, know that I am not a dancer. But uh, contango refers to a a concept in the or a situation in the market where current prices on a uh, commodity or an asset are lower than futures prices. 
So if you look at the futures market, everybody knows what the futures market is. You can buy uh, pork bellies or grain or or uh, energy uh, metals. You can buy December gold, that kind of stuff. And generally speaking, the future price is uh, less than the current price because there's a time frame in there. You have to pay for that time in between. When the current price is lower than the future price, that's called contango. That's the opposite of time value. That's the opposite of what it really should be. Why would something be worth more for a future delivery than a current delivery? You're getting penalized, essentially, for the time. Well, what's happened in the energy market is crude oil... Yeah, really for the last year has been in what we call in contango. But it's only been recently where the contango is large enough to make it profitable. Now, here's what happens. You buy oil now and you hang on to it for future delivery. It actually gains in value in future delivery. Now, this is... This is, is cool stuff from an investment side because you can absolutely positively lock in a set profit. So let's say oil is trading at $45 a barrel today, and you buy a barrel and take delivery of it. So a, a, a barrel of crude oil shows up on your doorstep. But in the meantime, you also sign a contract that says in December you will sell that barrel for $53. You made 8 bucks, and it's guaranteed. The person that, that uh, promises to buy it in December is absolute. They have to buy it, and they have to pay you $53. Well, would you buy a barrel of oil and hold it for a few months? For seven, eight dollars profit? Sure, if you had the ability to store it. Now, what's happening is many companies are, and individual investors, are buying oil by the tanker load, millions of barrels at a time, by the tanker load, and they're shipping that to storage areas that are relatively small or unknown around the globe. They're shipping crude oil to uh, St. Lucia. St. Lucia is a small island off the uh, Caribbean. And a tanker pulls up. They got just one dock that they can dock at at a time. And they unload the oil and leave it there for future delivery. Well, right now, Contango is $7.85 a barrel for one year forward, meaning I buy a barrel of oil today, I'm guaranteed an $8 profit on that barrel 12 months from now. Guaranteed. It's Contango. It's very interesting. South Africa is getting involved in this. Many, many investors uh, are getting into this because we know... Uh, This time of year, we're going into uh, the winter season in the northern hemisphere. And uh, crude oil is going to make some major moves on the supply and demand. 
So this contango creates an opportunity to make a lot of money just from time. All it takes is a little bit of time. Now, do not rush out to your nearest refinery and say, I want to buy a bunch of oil. <laughs> you you, you, you got to have a place to store it. Now, in the uh, years past, we've talked about China getting involved in a contango and storing the oil in floating tankers. They just don't offload it. <clears throat> it costs about uh, $3 a barrel to hire a tanker to hold the oil for three months, about a buck a month. So you got to make sure that that contango is worth it based on the cost of your storage. If a company who owns a tanker is going to let the tanker sit at anchor holding oil for a period of time, they got to get paid for that. Otherwise, they could make money elsewhere. But the stronger the contango, a year ago, the contango was about $3 a barrel. Today, it's just under $8 a barrel. The other thing that that tells us is that we're nearing a bottom, if we're not already at a bottom, for the price of oil per barrel, at least over the next 12 18 months. So we could very easily see oil trade in a fairly narrow corridor now for the next 12 to 15 months or so. That's an indicator that should tell you a little bit about the economy, the global economy, and the energy sector in general. So it's important to see these things and see what people are doing. Contango. I'll reference that again in the future. One of my favorite words, one of my favorite concepts to look at. Coming up, a bank in the world got caught with gold-plated metal in its reserves instead of gold. We'll talk about that next. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, it's been a while since we've talked about um, the lack of physical gold in different areas, different uh, vaults, different banks. And there's always speculation. You know, you always hear these stories that, you know what, there's no gold in Fort Knox. It's just tungsten painted gold colored or gold plated. Uh, a couple years ago, I don't know, maybe it's three years ago now, there was some some jewelers in Manhattan that uh, posted some pictures of gold bars that went viral. They bought 10-ounce gold bars to melt down to make jewelry out of. And uh, as they were melting it, the outside gold melted away, and inside was just a bar of tungsten. Tungsten's always the... Uh, always the metal that people use to commit fraud because it has a a weight similar to that of gold. Gold is very heavy uh, for 
the volume that it takes up. But uh, just recently, another bank was caught uh, with fake gold in its reserves. And now, now it, it, it was a bank in Russia. Okay, so who cares, right? Well, I care, and I'll tell you why. A relatively small bank in Russia, uh, not a very solid bank, but the uh, regulators in Russia revoked the bank's charter now, put them out of business, because when they audited the gold, instead of gold, the regulator found gold-plated metal. So they're trying to get away with something um, and got caught doing it. Now, the bigger question, bigger question is, um, what are the other banks around the world and in Russia, uh, what does their gold look like? And are the regulators going to be on alert now checking every bank's reserves to see if the gold is real gold. Now, remember, Russia is not a democratic, uh, representative, republic, capitalistic kind of society. So maybe, maybe we'll never hear about this. Maybe the Russian government will simply keep it quiet. But maybe... Not. Now, Russia is one of the major producers of gold in the world. They have more gold mines and gold reserves in the ground than most of the other countries. But uh, I think the important question is not how many other Russian banks have phony reserves or phony gold or fraudulent gold, whatever you want to call it, non-gold. But more importantly, how many global banks, especially among the emerging markets? Now, if I was involved in this, which I am not, but if I was involved in this, I would not only ask, okay, why do you have fake gold? But more importantly, where did the real gold go? Where did that go? Who sold it? Where is the money? Emerging markets have been especially hit hard by the rise in value of the American dollar. How many banks in emerging markets don't have all the gold they say they have? Now, remember, the second largest economy in the world, China, is designated an emerging market. They've been out there buying gold, supposedly. For a long time, accumulating a lot. Not only are they the second largest economy in the world, second only to us, by a long shot, by the way. I like to remind people of that. They're about half the size we are. Will not take us over in size, probably ever, but certainly not for a long, long time. Those people that say that China is a larger economy than ours is uh, they're just using goofy math. And if you look at how they calculate that, it doesn't hold water. Anyway, where's all the gold? 
Now, there's a lot of paper gold out there, ETFs, mutual funds, that kind of stuff. And there's about 200 ounces of paper gold per every ounce of physical gold um, in the world. Kind of like reserve banking only on a metal. Now, that doesn't bother me. It's no big deal. But how much physical gold is being reported that simply doesn't exist? Remember gold stories in the past where Germany wanted to repatriate their own gold from the Federal Reserve Bank in New York? And the Federal Reserve Bank in New York said, hey, no problem. Be glad to send you your gold. Uh, It might take us four or five years to do that, though. Four or five years to go downstairs, open the vault, and ship it? Ah, they didn't want to ship it because it wasn't in the proper smelted format that is acceptable today. So they would have to re-smelt it all, melt it down and reform it. After a while, I'd like to have been a fly on the wall in those talks. After a while, Germany said, you know what, we're pretty confident that our gold is safe in the New York Federal Reserve Bank. We're just going to leave it there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And by the way, they they bought the Brooklyn Bridge, too, I think. I'm not sure. But uh, it's interesting for a couple of reasons. One, the bank got caught with fake gold. Two, uh, the bank was in Russia. Three, we actually heard about it. If I was Putin, I wouldn't let that news get out into the world market because now everybody's going to be checking. And, you know, if I was buying gold from anybody in Russia, any institution, um, I'd want it tested somehow. I wanted to make sure, I would want to make sure that we're getting the gold we're supposed to be getting. But... uh I think some banks out there are going to be panicking. I think you're going to see some upticks in purchasing of uh, the yellow metal by different banks around the world. And it'll be very interesting to watch and see who's buying, how much, and how it's being recorded. We'll keep an eye on it. But... uh, Coming out of Russia, interesting news from the emerging market banking sector. Let's switch gears on you a little bit. As uh, those of you that are regular listeners know, I am not a parent. I uh, never had children. And by definition, my understanding is that makes me an expert on raising kids. And I gladly accept that role. As expert, but one of the things I've been reading about, and and I got a quick story from uh, one of my producers. One of my producers, uh, Katie's got several children, and uh, one of them's an eight-year-old. So that's what uh, third grade, something like that. And I just found out that her third grader, when announcements come on over the speaker. Or the teacher gets a phone call. I don't quite understand that, whether it's on the cell phone or a call from the head office or what. The minute that starts, the students are required to put everything down 
and have empty hands and put their hands on their head like prisoners. Now, she reacted totally differently to this than I would have. Um, We have a little problem with this. And uh, John Whitehead, who's uh, founder and and main spokesman for the Rutherford Institute, uh, also had a lot to say about kids in our public schools. By the time a kid comes out of our school system, they've been subjected to so much surveillance, so much, um, oh, shall we say, rules and instructive training, that it's no wonder they can't think on their own. It's no wonder they can't objectively and critically think enough to get a job. It's no wonder they vote the way they vote. I mean, our school systems, uh, I mean, they threw a kid out for a year, an 11-year-old, got thrown out of school in Virginia, a Virginia school, got thrown out of school for a year because there was a maple leaf, a leaf from a maple tree, in his backpack. The officials knew immediately that had to have been marijuana and suspended him for a year. A maple leaf. A maple leaf. Even acts of kindness. A 13-year-old was given detention for exposing the school to, quote, liability for sharing his lunch that he brought from home with a friend of his who was hungry. I mean, this is what our school systems are doing. 98,000 public school systems, they're getting suspended for free speech. They're getting suspended for uh, drawing pictures, telling stories uh, that involve guns, uh, even jokes. So it's no wonder we're getting the country we're getting. It's no wonder the civility is gone. It's no wonder that the objective, critical thinkers just aren't there. And very little is being created. We are criminalizing these kids. We are turning them into prisoners. They are the new inmates in the American police state. They've already been trained by the time they come out of high school to behave the way the authorities want them to behave. Speaking of authorities, I want to talk a minute or two about how the police are being treated and how they're reacting in this country. I'll talk about that next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. I wanted to touch on, just for a minute, put my editorial hat on for a second here and talk about the police uh, in this country. I think the view that we're getting from the mainstream media is highly distorted. Uh, I have a lot of policemen as listeners, have a lot of policemen as friends, and 
the officers that I know and talk to uh, don't fit the profile of what the media puts out there. We've reached a state. Now, that being said, okay, uh, I'm not for the militarization of police. I, I, I've talked about that. I think that's wrong. Turning police into soldiers, that kind of stuff, not good. But we've reached a state where the police are perceived more as the enemy than our protectors. Police are getting murdered around the country in the name of racism that uh, it's just open season on police. These people are getting murdered. And and what's happening is the court system and the media have, have put the police in a position where um, they hesitate. They pause. They think about the ramifications to the city, the police department, and their own lives before they respond to what's going on. I don't need policemen that are afraid to be policemen. And I'm not afraid of policemen. I'm disgusted when I read stories. There was a story out of Texas by CBS News. It's on CBS News website about a restaurant in Louisville, Texas, that refused service to police because they were police. Now, God forbid that restaurant needs a policeman in the future. I, If I was a police in that town and that restaurant got a call that they needed somebody, not sure I'd go. Police have a duty to go, and I will bet every police... A uh, person in that area would respond to the call, but I wouldn't blame them if they didn't. That thin blue line is all we have between us and the thugs, and it's become acceptable to attack policemen, citizens, based on race. This Black Lives Matter thing that was brought about by Ferguson and hands up, don't shoot. I mean, that's all built on a fallacy, but the mainstream media keep it going. Tell a lie long enough, it becomes the truth. Are there bad cops out there? I'm sure there are. Are there cops with big eagles that uh, pull their guns too quick, that kind of stuff? I'm sure there are. I was born and raised and live currently in the Midwest. And I have never met a cop, never met a cop here that let his ego get in the way of serving his community. I grew up in a very, very small town, not unlike a Mayberry RFD kind of town. Cop knew everybody, knew your parents, you get in trouble, he'd call your parents. That was worse 
than having the cop deal with you. I'm tired of it being acceptable or people not being outraged by the treatment of our police. It's very important that we as citizens stand up and maybe form that line that protects the police. Certainly need to support them. I don't need police that pause. I don't need them to hesitate. I don't need them to worry about their family, their department, their own lives in responding to a need in the community. This hands up, don't shoot. It's not based on fact. In fact, it's it's clearly based on something somebody made up. Restaurants that won't serve police. I mean, I, it's I, I, I I'm darn near speechless about this. Darn near speechless. This this just can't happen in this country. Now, I've talked about civil asset forfeitures, where Police confiscate things, they confiscate money, and people are never charged with a crime. And that's going on today. And we've got to stop that, too. And there's legislation pending, even in California, of all places, that will slow down civil asset forfeitures, if not eliminate them altogether. You can't have your assets confiscated by people without being charged. Even after you're charged, I'm not sure it's constitutional to have your house taken, your car, or anything like that. I'm not in favor of the militarization. I don't want soldiers walking down my street. I have a lot of respect for soldiers. Love them. They have a very difficult job to do for this country. But it is not in Main Street of my town. I'm just tired of the direction we're going and the apathy of too many of us that shrug our shoulders and say, eh, doesn't affect me. Or, eh, that's a shame. That shouldn't happen. That's terrible. I think the biggest problem is the information we receive is not credible. With the advent of the Internet, people mistake knowledge or I'm sorry, mistake information for knowledge, and then mistake knowledge for wisdom. And people are not able to discern wisdom from the knowledge because of the school system we've all been through. Something we have to develop on our own. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor. 